0: You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 6th of December 2019 on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View coming
1: up today. It is with deep regret, but also with deep gratitude that I am suspending our campaign today.
0: A look at who won't be the Democratic nominee for president and how the withdrawal of Senator Kamala Harris affects the chances of the hefty field still running. We'll wonder why the Pulitzer Prize Committee has taken more than a century to find out about radio journalism. We'll reflect on what else we learned this week, especially about the logistics of protecting the world's most flammable goat. The
2: Gävle goat is uh, uh, guarded 24-7 And that has proved to be very effective and stops the most spontaneous attacks.
0: And we'll look ahead to Monocle's Christmas Fair happening here at Midori House this weekend. I'm Andrew Muller. Monocle's House View starts now. And welcome to today's edition of Monocle's House View with me, Andrew Muller. US President Donald Trump is back in the White House, having returned from a brief visit to the NATO summit here in the UK, which turned out to be a visit even briefer than scheduled. To the readily imaginable relief of UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who did not seem keen on having his picture taken with the President in the second last week of general election campaigning, Trump went home early, where he learned that one problem he will not have next year is debating formidable California Senator Kamala Harris, who has ended her run for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination. Well, I'm joined with more on all of this by our Los Angeles Bureau Chief, Carlotta Ribello, who is here in the studio in London, and by our America's editor-at-large, Ed Stocker, who joins us from New York. Um, Ed, first of all, to you over there in the United States. There was much merriment on this side of the Atlantic, at least uh, at a video from the NATO conference uh, of Boris Johnson, Justin Trudeau and Emmanuel Macron all appearing to be laughing at Trump behind his back, which is said by some to be the reason that Trump went home early. Has that video cut through over there at all?
3: I mean, it certainly has. I mean, I'd argue that there's quite a, loss, uh, quite a lot competing for attention at the moment here in the US. And it was certainly sort of leaped upon uh, by the media. Um, you know, uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post, for example, uh, giving quite extensive coverage. Uh, I believe the New York Times had a headline along the lines of mocked abroad and assailed at home. So just sort of, it was a way, I guess, of showing how Donald Trump is facing an attack on all fronts. There is no sort of Uh, respite for him. Some former presidents were able to to sort of leave their troubles behind uh, when they went on foreign trips. And that doesn't seem to be the case with Donald Trump, who's sort of made a habit of picking fights with world leaders. This isn't the first time uh, this sort of thing has happened. Quite interesting. You know, I mentioned the New York Times and the Washington Post to sort of see the other side of it and how Fox News, for example, uh, has talked about that video. It's commentators sort of referring to that huddle of world leaders as suave elites and how (laughs) suggesting that Donald Trump should, you know, fight back with his famous counterpunching. So in a way, the video is just sort of reinforcing that polarization we've seen in the US for a long time now.
0: Uh, that video has already, uh, Carlotta Ribello, formed part of an attack ad by Joe Biden, who is still in uh, the race, very much so for the Democratic nomination, which is my way of moving seamlessly along to who isn't. Uh, Kamala Harris, who will go back presumably to being a senator from the state in which you now live, uh, though you are here visiting us this week. Um, she was a front runner at one point. Um, what What went wrong?
2: Well, uh, as she explained in the video withdrawing her campaign, at the end of the day, um, it went. It was all because of a lack of funds. And, you know, she made a remarkable video where kind of implied, you know, the way that Michael Bloomberg is um, uh, paying for his uh, entry into the race at this late stage. I believe it's the latest a candidate has entered uh, the nomination for the Democratic Party uh, race. Um, but with Kamala, she always had an issue with her record as a prosecutor. You know, she's one of those dividing figures, especially in California, where a lot of people praise her and love her for her work um, uh, back then, and others completely uh, hate her for it. I have never met uh, people that agreed on where they stood uh, with Kamala Harris. Now, I feel my... uh, perspective is that she was appealing perhaps more to outside the state than within as a potential nominee. Mm. Um, but it was still great to have someone, you know, that is so assertive and brings that prosecutor or brought that prosecutorial tone to the debates and to the whole race, which is surely to be missed.
0: Um Ed, she was barely polling at all, really, when she withdrew, which is probably the reason that she was no longer attracting much in the way of backing, which, of course, was the ultimate reason that she withdrew, as Carlotta was pointing out. So there's probably not that many of her remaining votes to be distributed among the remaining candidates. But does her withdrawal change the calculus for any of them at all?
3: Uh, Well, I mean, I think, look, it's not going to change the top of the race that, you know, the fact that Warren and Biden are right up there on the top and Buttigieg's, Buttigieg is behind that. I mean, there, there have been some small changes in the sense that uh, Julian Castro had his best. Uh, he was able to raise the most money in four months on Tuesday. But, you know, having said all of that, the fact that, you know, perhaps uh, Castro's had a bit of a spike uh, in money coming into his campaign doesn't really alter where he is sitting right down the bottom. So I think we may see some changes. Obviously, there's been a lot of um, press about the fact that for all uh, the talk about the diversity within the ranks of the Democrats and how that's, you know, in a way, a counter punch to Donald Trump Trump and everything he represents. The fact is that as this field begins to narrow, uh, we're not seeing any diversity with, you know, the top four is all white. Uh, you know, obviously Kamala Harris has dropped out and and others who are representing diversity are struggling, which may explain why there has been a slight spike for, say, Julian Castro. But in terms of whether it's going to change the, the race and where it stands, not really, it's not looking like that at the moment. Carlotta Uh,
2: No and it's interesting that point about Castro we need to remember as well that he still uh, has to reach the polling threshold to make the next debate stage but what I find quite interesting with um, Kamala Harris withdrawing from the race is that suddenly you have a very strong contender for the vice presidency seat Mm. um, uh, which before wasn't that apparent I mean especially when you think for example with Joe Biden if Kamala was on the ticket with him it would draw in a lot of the votes that Biden currently is not able uh, to get. I mean, um, as I mentioned before, she brings this you know, prosecutorial t- tone and she's very well versed and relatively young. Uh, she's 55 years old versus Biden, for example, who's 77. And she brings, as Ed was just mentioning, the diversity side to a ticket. So I personally don't believe this is the last we'll see of her in this election cycle. And Uh, it's understandable why there's a bit of a buzz around um, whether or not she will make uh, the VP ticket, because any of the remaining candidates, white male candidates, would benefit (laughs) from having her on. Uh,
0: Ed, elsewhere in Blue on Blue news this week, we've had uh, Hillary Clinton, who admittedly does have a a book to sell, um, popping up to to have a swipe at Bernie Sanders, who is still running uh, for this nomination as well. Has she already faded into Democratic Party history? Is this going to be an election in which previous Democratic presidents or even previous Democratic nominees make a difference? Does anyone care what she thinks? Is anyone waiting to see who Barack Obama endorses?
3: Well, I think Hillary Clinton and and Barack Obama are two very different people in that regard. I think Hillary Clinton has, you know, she's kept... Fairly quiet, but as you say, she's she's been doing a bit of a book tour. She was on Howard Stern on the radio recently where she made those comments about Bernie Sanders. I mean, certainly from her point of view, look, she is out of politics. It's highly unlikely she's ever going to run for political office again. And so uh, she's keeping largely out of it. She's unshackled uh, by that and I think able to speak much more freely uh, than we've seen her do In the past, that was always something that was deemed one of her shortcomings, the fact that she wasn't seen as being completely honest or comfortable uh, in the public limelight, something that she seems much more at ease with now. But, you know, she was making a comment about party unity and the fact that she wished that bernie sanders would have endorsed her a, a lot sooner i mean she's making that in reference to the fact that the field is so large now also having a slight dig suggesting he's not going to win the nomination and when he doesn't he should quickly endorse the person who does i mean obviously obama is you know having been president having uh, remaining extremely popular uh is uh, something that we would look out for, something the US public looks out for to see who he would endorse. Whether he's going to do that remains to be seen. I think it may be hard for him. You know, the natural choice one would have thought would be Joe Biden, but it seems that he's uh, going to stay out of it. I could be proved wrong, and he could suddenly come in with an endorsement. What's quite interesting is that some of his team have actually uh, endorsed Pete Buttigieg, but for now, nothing for Obama. I mean, given his popularity, you could argue that it would make a difference, him coming in to endorse someone. Uh,
0: just finally, both of you, and very, very quickly, I, I want you to compromise your reputations by saying who you think will be the Democratic nominee for president, not who you would like to be, who you think it will. Uh, Carlotta, we've already heard from you as as to who you think the vice presidential nominee might be. Who do you think is actually going to get through this field?
2: Look, um, exactly as you pointed out, it's not who I would pick, but who I think would make it. I think Joe Biden has the best chance because if... What it takes to defeat Donald Trump is to have a moderate that appeals to the center. Um, maybe you know the revolution and the change can wait for that greater purpose. And in my mind, it's Joe Biden and Kamala together on that ticket. Uh, and
0: Ed, where would your bet be going right now?
3: Well, I'd say that anything can happen in politics in the U.S. within a week. But I would agree with Carlotta. I think Joe Biden. It doesn't seem to be. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter how many gaffes he makes, in- including apparently calling someone fat uh just recently uh he still seems to be at the top so what i can't see however is a biden kamala harris ticket given how they sparred in the june debate how she attacked him on busing um uh, there doesn't there seems to be uh, not a huge love between the two they'd have to they'd have to be a very uh an amazing rapprochement for them to come together. But who knows? I don't think it could happen.
0: Ed Stocker and Carlotta Rabello, thank you both for joining us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Miller. Here is what we learned this week. We learned this week that the skin of US President Donald Trump is not merely the weirdly orangest substance on earth, but also the thinnest. The most powerful man in the world flounced ahead of schedule from this week's NATO summit somewhere near London after footage emerged of his fellow alliance leaders chortling at the expense of his bountiful foibles. The president is not, in fairness, the first person to have seized on any excuse to leave Watford early. We and Donald Trump also learned that California Senator Kamala Harris will not be the next President of the United States. She withdrew from the stampede, seeking the Democratic Party's nomination for next year's election, to the disappointment of those anticipating that the debates between Harris and Trump might have been pleasingly evocative of a piñata being lustily thrashed with a cricket bat, or, in a comparison more readily illustrated with archive audio, Harris's previous interrogations of Trump's former attorney general and Alabama state gnome, Jeff Sessions.
1: Sir, I'm sure you prepared for this hearing today and most of the questions that have been presented to you were uh, predictable. So my question to you is, did you then review with the lawyers of your department, if you as the top lawyer are unaware, what the law is regarding what you can share with us and what you cannot share with us?
0: We learned that Finland's Prime Minister had resigned. As the world gamely resisted any urge to panic, Monocle's Helsinki correspondent Petri Bertsov explained the situation on
4: Tuesday's briefing. When the employees of the Finnish Postal Service went on strike in a move to oppose 30% salary cut, and several sectors of society then joined in this strike, which more or less paralysed the country for a few days. As part of the political backlash of the whole saga, it emerged that the Prime Minister Antirine uh, had made some false statements to the parliament. We learned
0: that maps of North Korea will require updating to the tune of one city, or as the official line has it, one epitome of modern civilization. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un took a break from his recent schedule of looking pensive on a horse to cut the ribbon on Samjion, a conurbation near the North Korean holy site of Mount Paektu. Rodong Sinmun, the official newspaper of the Central Committee of the Workers Party of Korea, and not It is often suspected always the most rigorous invigilator of the regime. Further reported, thus the steadfast faith and will of the party and people of the DPRK to add eternal lustre to Kim Jong-il's immortal revolutionary history and exploits has been fully demonstrated and a revolutionary springboard for successfully implementing the party's plan for local construction provided. One can only hope this lost something in the translation. On Tuesday's briefing we asked the UK's former ambassador to North Korea, John Everard, for a more nuanced view.
4: It was built largely to poke the Americans in the eye effectively. I mean, the Americans have been trying to impose economic sanctions on North Korea for many years now in response to the nuclear programme. And this is Kim Jong-un's way of saying that, never mind economic sanctions, I can go and build an entire new city. That sucks to you.
0: We learned that efforts to defend the English language from the predations of unlettered barbarians take their toll on even the most indefatigable pedants. The Apostrophe Protection Society threw in the towel after 18 years of wearily reminding people of the difference between its and its and your and your, and that there is never any cause for apostrophes in plurals. This latter transgression, especially in a truly civilised society, would be punishable by flogging with. a knotted rope. Here's Robin Lustig on Monday's edition of The Briefing.
1: I kind of share his sadness that the apostrophe is so badly misused and abused, but I accept that language changes. Grammar changes. It's something organic. If people don't
0: like the apostrophe, they're not going to use the apostrophe. We learned, to our barely containable excitement, that the Yevla goat has a spokesperson, at which a line of explanation is probably in order for any listeners who've missed our previous manifold canings of this subject. Every year in the Swedish port of Yevla, they build an immense straw goat at Christmas, and almost every year it gets burnt down by some miscreant scofflaw or 'er ne'er-do-well. Here is the Yevla goat's human representative on Thursday's brief.
2: The Jävle Goat is uh, uh, guarded 24-7 and that has proved to be very effective and stops the most spontaneous attacks uh, after a party night out. There are many (laughs) drunk people that have set the Jävle Goat on fire during the years.
0: We learned that any Yahoo may now market their vinegar as balsamic, whatever balsamic even means. The European Court of Justice decided that the vinegar makers of Modena province in Italy, which had long laid exclusive claim to the adjective, had been pushing their luck, and that balsamic was not a word with particular geographic resonance. This was shaping as the setup for some joke about how the Italian farmers are still at least well-dressed, vinegar, dressing, you can see where it was going, but it doesn't really stick, but I'd already written it down. Thanks. It's appreciated. We learned of an exciting new initiative to reduce wastage and indeed washing up aboard aircraft. Air New Zealand is going to trial edible coffee cups made by a local company. The receptacles, proclaimed leak-proof, are made of a vanilla-flavoured biscotti. While this is obviously to be encouraged, it does seem weird that the airline industry has cracked edible crockery before they've figured out drinkable coffee. And we learned that Australians associate one particular adjective with themselves, more than any other. The Australia Talks National Survey asked respondents for three words to summarise their identity. Topping the poll was honest. And this must be true because, self-evidently, my people would not lie to you. And with that flagrant cherry-picking of the facts to reinforce the prejudices of the commentator, for Monocle24, I'm Andrew (laughs) Muller. You're listening to Monocle's House View with me, Andrew Muller. Congratulations are in order to the Pulitzer Prize Board on their discovery of a hot new medium, radio. Write it down, it's going to be big. A mere 124 years after Guglielmo Marconi transmitted the first radio signal, there will henceforth be a Pulitzer Prize for radio reporting. The gong will be open to producers of podcasts as well as makers of more traditional radio. I'm joined with more on this by monocle 24's Tom Edwards and Augustine Machchelari um Tom this is this is quite weird that this is only now just happening is it is this one of those things and it does often happen in one's day-to-day life where you don't get around to doing something that you really should and that just goes on so long that you reach the point at which it would become more embarrassing to admit you haven't done it than to actually do it
1: yeah I mean I think you there's evidence that they've perhaps missed a trick on this. Uh, if you look at what some of the administrators say, they they, they described audio as an experimental category, <laughs> uh, which is something of uh, of a punt. I think what's happened is that they're trying to reflect, obviously, the, the the sort of the burgeoning field of podcasting and the extraordinary accomplishments that we're seeing all around the the world in that medium. But they have slightly missed the point that uh, I think the great podcasts like our own here at Monocle 24, <laughs> are born out of, of of radio, a proven medium. I must admit, I did a sort of double take. I don't know what the equivalent of that is, online. Um, because, of course, yeah, I sort of assumed that these things were recognised by this august and venerable uh, committee. But like you said, uh, if it's worth waiting for, it's worth waiting 125 odd years for.
0: Because, Augustine, it is really odd. It's not like radio reporting
4: is a new discipline. There has been, well, more than a century of it. It's true. It's true. But I think as um, these things are sort of measured in the US, you know, you think you think about you think about the the sort of the BBC culture of reporting and everything's quite snappy, isn't it? And it's only in America, really, that long form journalism, whether in print or in audio, has kind of taken off. I think that Tom Wolfe probably invented it in the 70s with the new journalism or he like recognised it. And that That way of telling a story has very, very heavily informed the podcast uh, landscape. I was looking at the serial, which, even though podcasts have been around since 2004, is like the one, isn't it? It's the one Mm. that kind of broke through. I think there's 12 episodes, and they're an hour each. If you think about The Beeb putting out something like that, broadcasting that on radio would be a really big ask. I don't even think you'd do that on TV in the UK until the American kind of supersized season came along. We do things in a shorter format, and I'm not sure that lends itself to telling a story in the way that the Pulitzer Prize is looking to recognise.
0: Tom, are they within their rights to have been a bit caught out or a bit surprised by how quickly podcasting has become a thing? I mean, as Augustine correctly pointed out, it does have a a fifteen year long history, but it really has been a thing this decade to a, to a degree which has surprised and I have to say, professionally delighted me. But, <laughs> um, it, the, the appetite for them seems verging on ceaseless. I don't really understand when people have time to listen to all this
1: stuff. Well, but you should be lucky they are. As a, <laughs> as a British podcast uh, podcast award winner yourself, Andrew, I know you weren't attempting to make me mention that. Um, yeah, no, what I find extraordinary is that it is only five years since that real blossoming of the of the scene, and indeed that the committee has chosen to act so decisively to recognise that expansion, having, as we said, perhaps not honoured you know, This extraordinary journalistic tradition, and I suppose the only thing that I would say is you know, if I think back to my childhood listening, it wasn't a steam powered radio or before you point that out, it was hamster, um, it was a hamster, <laughs> wheel, <wasn't it? laughs> a hamster a wheel. No, it's for one of my servants in a wheel running around. I joke, of course. Um, but listening to things like Alistair Cook's Letter from America, that was probably the thing that made me fall in love with it as a medium an astonishing voice of authority, of warmth, and, and you know, if podcasting merely means that more people who are possibly even more time poor when it comes to their media consumption than, than ever before in history um, make some time in their day to hear those kind of voices and to let the, the personal quality of radio, of a voice straight into your ears come to them, then it can only be a good thing. So despite a kind of playful rap of the knuckles for the Pulitzer Prize board, um, I think it's probably a good thing.
4: Just to jump in, I mean, that thing of making time. Obviously, podcasts are named after a now sort of obsolete medium, um, the iPod. Was that a medium or was it a device? It's it was a, a device. device. Yeah. Mine still works. Uh, well, power to its <laughs> elbow, as Rob <laughs> Brown might say. I, I guess, like, podcasts have really successfully colonised the time that we spend in between doing things that are important. Travelling to work going to the gym, all of these moments when you can sit down and actually listen proactively to a show, which you just don't do. The radio is something you have on in the background, mm. right? It's a reassuring burble every now and then. <laughs> you hear a joke and it makes you laugh or you tune in for an angry interview with a politician. I'm talking specifically about UK radio. A, a podcast requires you to engage actively. And that time, the time in which we do that has kind of only really just become colonizable thanks to devices. Tom, can, can we put that phrase
0: on our advertising? Monocle 24 a reassuring burble. In the background.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to use that as a, as a newsinger. I thought you were about to submit yourself for consideration by the Pulitzer <laughs> board, uh, Andrew. Well
0: no, but just finally on this Tom, is there actually a minor concern that if the Pulitzers get hold of the podcast as a medium it might become a bit Pulitzer'd? Because Pulitzer journalism is a genre in itself which is not to say it's
1: not worthwhile but it's often, uh, it's very worth I know exactly what you mean and I think that's something that they will be very aware of and I think they're adroit enough in their assessment of these things to sidestep the obvious you know Moment that's going for you know the Hail Mary awards (laughs) bid. You think of the you know the tearjerker scene in Oscar movies that they play (laughs) up at the Academy Awards. I think we can look forward to a history that won't be dominated by those kind of moments in audio for a while yet. Tom Edwards and Augustine Machalari, thank you both very much for joining us.
0: And finally today on Monocle's House View, it is nearly the Monocle Christmas Fair, and you'd better believe that is spelt F-A-Y-R-E. Uh, joining me is an eight-year veteran uh, of this great event, Monocle's own Marcus Hippie. Uh, Marcus, welcome. And first of all, you are not going to be the only Finn in the fairground this weekend, are you? No,
5: I won't. You know, actually, we do have some regular guests from Finland, just, you know, your usual Monocle readers and listeners. But we do also have a special guest from Finnish Lapland from Rovaniemi from Santa Claus Village Santa Claus himself. Santa is Claus himself, over again. And,
0: and this, as you will be keen to stress, is the proper Finnish Santa Claus. None of your cheap, shoddy tawdry, this is ludicrous the real Swedish thing.
5: facsimiles. No, I mean, I mean, you know, Christmas is is time of peace and coming together. We do have a Swedish <laughs> choir over here over the weekend, which I, I accept. But we do have the Finnish Santa over here, the real thing.
0: Okay, so it's, it's all going to kick off Sunday afternoon when you've had one mulled wine <laughs> too many and steam single-handed into the Swedish Christmas choir. I mean, let's face it, it's what's happened every other year. What what else is occurring at the Monocle Christmas thing?
5: We also have reindeer over here. To be honest, I am I not sure. I want to make
0: it clear that those are real reindeer. They right? are real, real yeah. reindeer.
5: I'm not sure if Santa's bringing them with him from Finland too. Otherwise, plenty of glue wine. I don't know what it is about the Monocle Christmas market, glue wine, but it's great. I do I do enjoy it regularly. We've noticed. Yeah. Um. You know, I've got this long history with the Monocle Christmas fair and I guess everyone has realised what I'm relatively good at and what I'm not good at. And on the first year I was in charge of Tombola and I don't really know what happened. Still don't know but I was moved from that job to the welcome desk. So for example... On Saturday and on Sunday as well, I'm going to be spending a few hours there inviting people over and greeting them and making sure that everything runs smoothly and everyone is jolly. By the way, we're going to have some great retailers over there. So that's another thing. It's a great weekend for Christmas shopping. So if you want to buy something special, this is the place to go to. We
0: should mention our retailers more specifically. Who is coming and what are they going to be selling?
5: Well, I think there's going to be quite a lot of Nordic design, obviously. I've been kind of like, you know, looking after that as well. Besides many, many Monocle favourites you can buy. You can buy previous years, I know. From previous years, that there's a great selection of magazines, there's a great selection of obviously Monocle's own products, and from year to year, the people who come over to sell their things that varies. So I think it's always a bit of a surprise to see what you have over there this time. I have to mention, by the way, Monochan is going to be over I as well. I was
0: literally about to ask you about Monochan. That
5: do you want to explain to our listeners who or what <sighs> Monochan even is? I think we can do it as well, both of us. So Monochan is our owl. It's an owl from Japan. From Japan. Walking around,
0: yeah, uh, we should greeting should, children. Should should we let slip that it's not actually a real owl? It's it's some put upon, intern in an owl costume, basically, isn't yeah it?
5: I was I was not going to ruin the secret, but I think these are the times I, I that we think, don't.
0: I, I think our listeners are sufficiently we, observant that they might yeah, spot that it's not a real I owl. I mean, we
5: don't want to get we don't want to have people have any wrong ideas of how we are using animals in the event. So.
0: Uh, no, indeed not. Um, we should tell people the wheres and whens. Obviously, it is happening right here,
5: meters away from where we are
0: broadcasting here at Midori House, One Dorset Street, in Marylebone, in London. It's from
5: 10 a.m. till 5 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday, indeed. And we'll be here. I think you are going to be around at some point as well, won't you? Am I?
0: I haven't been told about that. If I am,
5: you. I, hopefully you will it's, be. It's, I will be there definitely. It's not
0: my year in the owl
5: suit, is it? <laughs> we haven't revealed that yet. But yeah, all that coming up, all that coming up, definitely don't miss that. It's it's one of my personal highlights of the year. Great place to meet Monocle staff members and a great place to do some Christmas shopping and to see real radio broadcasts happen in real life as well. Obviously, we're going to have our stand next to the reindeer. I was, by the way, I was I was listening to the previous discussion we had on that Pulitzer Prize for radio reporting and I I think I've got a pretty good grasp who is going to be the first winner. Who is that? It's going to be the Monocle show, The Menu. I,
0: I, I think I, I can't see why they wouldn't give it to the menu, Marcus. I mean, I'm, I'm putting my money on that right now. Marcus Hippie, thank you very much for joining us. That is all for today's show. The House View was produced by Augustin Machilari Its studio manager was David Stevens. Coming up at twenty hundred, a brand new edition of the Pulitzer Prize winning program of the future, The Menu. I'm Andrew Muller. Thank you very much for listening. Have an excellent weekend.